prophets were a special group of men. They were special in the sense that they served God in difficult places and were loyal to Him without a fault. These were men who were dedicated and who stood and preached God's Word quite often among people who did not want to hear it. Over the last couple of years, I have periodically chosen one of the minor prophets for us to have a series of lessons from them. And beginning this morning and next Lord's Day morning, we're going to talk about the prophet Joel for just a moment. And I have entitled this lesson, Lamenting Disaster. And for just a few moments, I'd like to introduce our study by asking you some questions for us to get our minds thinking in the right direction. First question is, have you ever grieved over something you did and wish you could change things? Most of you would say that's a rhetorical question. Well, certainly I have done things of which I wished I had never done. There are things that I think most of us wish that we could go back and undo or wish that they had never happened whatsoever. Second of all, did something awful have to happen to get your attention? Now again, that almost seems to be a rhetorical question because generally if it's something which we feel so strongly, so passionately about, it is something about which we had some bad consequences. I will tell you that one of the saddest parts of being a preacher is sitting with families who are having trouble. Husbands and wives who've experienced infidelity on the part of their spouse. And many times they want to repair it. They want to put it back together, but something awful has happened. And in fact, did the consequences of your choices, the mistakes you have made, seem greater than you had anticipated. In fact, almost impossible to bear. Genesis chapter 4, verse 13. You know about Cain. He killed his brother Abel. And God put a punishment upon Cain. And in Genesis 4, verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. I never knew that it was going to be so difficult to go through what I am going through. I've seen husbands and wives look at one another and say, I didn't know that that affair, that adultery was going to be so painful to all of us. And that life seems to never get back to where it once was. In Proverbs 18 and verse 14, the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. But who can bear a broken spirit? Some of you have mentioned to me that you have endured a sickness over the past few weeks. Some of you have had the flu and had a very bad case on it. But you knew we were going to get better. You knew that eventually things would get almost back to normal. 
them out a man with a broken spirit, how will he ever get back to where things are right once again? The book of Joel has some powerful lessons contained therein. In fact, the phrase, the day of the Lord, appears five times in the book of Joel itself. And quite often we think of the day of the Lord as like the song, there's a great day coming by and by. But the day of the Lord doesn't just refer to a day of judgment. It does refer to that. But it refers to a day of God's work in the lives of men. A day which has been designated by God for things to happen. There's two lessons that we're going to look at. This morning's lesson is going to be lamenting disaster. The word lament means to be sorrowful over it, to go through a grief process. And there is a grief process that goes with disaster. And we're going to see it in a very vivid form as Joel presents it. Lord willing, next Sunday morning we're going to talk about the last days Joel is one of the prophets of the last days who looks forward to the coming, not of what man tends to think of the last time just before Jesus returns again, but to the last period of time, which is the Christian age. This morning we're going to look at three things from Joel chapter 1 and part of chapter 2. The first will be the disasters that are going to come. There are going to be a series of at least three of them that's going to be almost like rolling waves coming in. Then we're going to look at the deliverance that God held out for them and said, you want deliverance from these disasters? I will give it. And then finally, some discussion, some application, applying this. You know, when Paul met with the elders from Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He said to them in verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. You see, whenever we go to a passage of God's Word, we ought to be asking, Is there anything within this passage that tells me how I ought to live? Let's begin, first of all, with the disasters. And if you'll look with me, if you want to open your Bibles to Joel chapter 1, we're going to look at most of the verses, not all of them. And as you begin, he begins with verses 1 through 3. You've already heard them read, but I want to focus your minds for just a moment upon them. He said, The word of the Lord that came to Joel the son of Bethuel, Hear this, you elders, and give ear, you inhabitants of the land, Has anything happened like this happened in your days or even the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. I would ask, don't want to embarrass anyone, but some in here probably do not remember the Depression. But some of you or like myself, who had parents and grandparents who did. I remember my grandmother canning tons, I thought, of food. You'd walk into the pantry and there'd be jar after jar after jar. and you go to the freezer, there'd be just food just piled to the top. And 
My grandmother even used to take tin foil and she would, after cooking, would wash the tin foil and put it in a drawer. And You know, those of us who are younger would say, well, just throw it away. Just throw it away. And No, you don't throw away things like that. You may need that one day. You see, the Great Depression was impressed upon the minds of a generation that said, we better waste not lest we want. And you see what is going to take place in the book of Joel is legendary. It's going to be something that they're going to tell their children about. They're going to tell their grandchildren about. And even their grandchildren are going to tell another generation because this is going to be a significant event. Look with me at verse 4. He's going to talk about locusts. You see, they were an agrarian society. That is, they were farmers. Or they were people who tended flocks, herdsmen. And whether you were a farmer and you grew food, or whether you were a herdsman and you grew animals, they were dependent upon food. And here's the way Joel describes it. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust have eaten. What the swarming locust left, the creeping or crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust has left, the consuming locust has eaten. You might think in your mind, he's talking about four different types of locusts. No, he's just talking about one and their four stages of life. You see, the locust is unique in the Mediterranean locust is that at every stage of life he is very damaging to crops. And so as each stage progresses more and more and more, in fact, I'd like to encourage you to do something. Uh, we're not, we don't have time in this lesson to explore all the background of it, but I'd like to encourage you to go back and read about the great locust invasion of 1919 that took place in Israel, Palestine, and what all they had to do to try to stop it. It's amazing. They had to take zinc plates and put them in the ground to be able to try to stop the invasion of the locust. Amazing things because of the devastation. But after the locusts have eaten everything, They've stripped all of the vegetation. He begins with verse 5 and going through verse 7 and says, Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, you drinkers of wine, because the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are like the teeth of a lion, and his fangs like a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree and stripped, stripped it bare and thrown it away and its branches are made white. I want you to imagine the vegetation has been completely eaten. There's nothing left but just the framework, if you will, of the tree. There's no leaves on it. There's no bark on it. The locusts have eaten it all. And so there's... No vines, no grapes. There's no olive trees, and so there's no oil. 
There's no fig tree. There's no fodder. All of the wheat, all of the barley. Folks, the food and the drink are gone. And the animals that depend upon that, they're starving. Look with me at verses 8 through 12. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering, the drink offering have been cut off out of the house of the Lord. The priest mourn who minister before or to the Lord. The field is wasted, the land mourns, the grain is ruined, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine is dried up, the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm also, and the apple trees, all the trees are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. And I know you're thinking in your mind, oh, that, that preacher up there, he's just reading from all this stuff from Joel. I want you to look and imagine if you walk to your refrigerator and you think, oh, I can get all the food I want to out of this, and if I don't have that, I can go to this grocery store, that grocery store, and I can buy meat, and I can buy vegetables that have been canned. What would happen in our country if something such as this shut down all our food? It would not be long till the shelves would be bare. The cupboards where you had prepared food would have been consumed, and there's nothing left. Folks, this is a disaster. And so he says what you need to do, like a virgin who is prepared for her wedding day and her husband now is gone. You can't console that woman. You drop down and he says in verse 12, Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. Verses 13 through 16 there's no means to offer sacrifice to God. You can't go and find some grain offering or an animal to offer to God because they're all gone. So what do you do? It's time to assemble everybody together to have a plea, if you will, to the God of heaven. Gird yourselves and lament, you priest. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to God. The grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It is come as destruction from the Almighty is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. Everybody is sad. They're lamenting like they're at a funeral. Everything is gone. Now, that's the first wave, what the locusts destroyed. Look at verses 17 through 20, the second wave, the drought. The seed shrivels under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down. For the grain is withered. How the animals groan. 
The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. O Lord, to you I cry out. Fire has developed the oak, devoured the open pastures, and a flame burned the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. Verse 20 says, the water brooks are dried up. Verse 17 talks about the seed shriveling under the clods of dirt. There's nothing to cause the seed to grow. Not only has everything been stripped bare, there's nothing to look forward to. There's not a new crop. There's not going to be a new crop. Misery upon misery, which brings us to chapter 2. Imagine the locusts have destroyed all your vegetation. A drought has followed, and now the third wave, if you will, and an invading army. And again, I'm going to speed this up a little bit. First thing he tells Joel to do is to sound an alarm. Verse 1, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand. You mean it's not here yet? Wave after wave after wave of disaster and it's still not here yet? You're going to face a nation more ruthless than you have ever faced I just want to pull a couple of verses out. Verse 6, verse 11. Before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. I mean, here you are. You're in a weakened condition. You know what you're in. And you see coming at you one of the most vicious, ruthless nations. And what are they going to do to you? You know you're going to die. You know you're going to suffer indignities. Or you're going to be put into slavery. And all the blood from your face, you just go pale. Verse 11, the Lord gives voice before His army, for His camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes His word. For the day of the Lord is great and terrible. Who can endure it? And so you see despair while they wait and you see God behind the judgment. Now very quickly, God looks at the people and says, do you want to be delivered? Do you want deliverance from all of this? I can't look at all verses 12 through 27, so I'm going to just sort of pull this together. Verse 14 Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God? Who knows? God may, if depending upon what we do, turn around and offer some sort of deliverance for us. God was the source of their disaster, but God would also be the source of their deliverance. I don't agree with everything that Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar said to Job. Some things they said were correct, some things were not correct. 
Part of what they did was attribute things to Job that was not correct. But if you go to chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Eliphaz says, Behold, happy is the man whom the Lord corrects. Therefore, do not despise his, the chastening of the Almighty. Look, notice with me verse 18. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make hold. It's almost like a parent who has to spank the child. I wanted to say whip. But then turns around and hugs the child and says, but I did this because I love you, because I want to change your behavior. That's what God is doing with His people. Now notice with me verses 12 and 13. Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. So rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to me the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. With all your heart, nothing that's just partial. I think when he points out, rend your hearts and not your garments. So many people want to do stuff that's outwardly. You know, they want to make people think they've changed, but in reality their heart hasn't changed. It's not been on the inside. She says you need to rend your hearts and not your garments. You're going to have to show that you have a real, genuine repentance before things are going to get better. The priest needed to get down on their knees and start pleading to God on behalf of this people. Verse 17, Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? God would zealously restore what was lost in the disaster. Again, I'm just going to have to cherry pick some verses. Verses 18 and 19. The Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you'll be satisfied by them, and I will no longer make you approach among the nations. You look, I'll take care of you. Verses 25 and 26. And I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you. God said, you know, everything that I took away, I'll give it back to you. And I think when he says, I'll give you the years, he's not only going to give them the blessing of what a good year would be, but what they missed during the period that they lost. You see, that's the graciousness of God, because God cared enough to correct his people. Verse 27, then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. God said, my people are going to stand. 
Now, very quickly, I just have three things to think about with you as we discuss Joel and us. Here's something that I think we all need to think about. Everyone needs to be forced to humbly look at the problems in their own lives. I do and you do. You know, one of the problems we have is when everything is going great, we don't really think we need God. We're never put in this position where we have to humble ourselves and say, I deserve what I got. I brought it on myself. And I have to change. David in Psalm 119 said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Do you hear that last phrase? In faithfulness you have afflicted me. God, you did this for my good. You brought it on me to help me see myself to be who I really am. The religious leaders. You know, he speaks about the priests quite often in the book of Joel. They were the religious leaders. Joel himself was a prophet like among the other prophets. And what their job was to take the people and say, Here's what you did that brought this to pass. Here's sin and here's how God feels about it. And here's the God who can deliver you from it. (coughs) Jeremiah said in chapter 4 verse 19 through 22, Oh my soul, oh my soul, I am pained in my very heart. My heart makes noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because... You have heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is plundered. Suddenly my tents are plundered, my curtains in a moment. How long will I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people are foolish. They've not known me. They are silly children and have not have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Jeremiah said, you see the destruction's coming? How did it get here? He said, my people are basically dumb. They don't understand what they're doing. Let me ask you the question. The United States of America in 2015, would you say we are smart or we are dumb? Oh, to do evil, we're dumb. We're people who are just bent on doing evil. Verse 10 of chapter 16. And it shall be when you show this people all these words and they will say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is the sin we've committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them. You see, Jeremiah's job is to tell them what they've done. Isaiah 58 verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. You see, there's a lot to that. Third thing, last thing, God calls for genuine repentance. 
too often, we are superficial. Outwardly, we can pray, portray to people, we're wanting to do what's right. But in our hearts and in our minds, we know we still have a longing, a desire for sin. When God wrote, spoke through the prophet Hosea to the children of Israel, it's so amazing the parallels that exist. Come and let us return to the Lord, for He is torn, but He will heal us. He is stricken, but He will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord or of the Lord. He is coming forth and is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain of the earth. Now listen to God respond. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like the morning cloud. And like the early dew that goes away. You see, people will say, I want to do right. How many times have you seen somebody walk to the front and say, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to be restored to faithfulness. Sunday morning, you don't see them back Sunday night. You don't see them back Wednesday night. You may not see them back the next Sunday. Folks, where is the genuineness of that? If I have changed my heart... If I've changed my mind, my faithfulness ought to last more than one service. Sorrow can be either worldly or godly. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, 10 says that the sorrow of the world leads to death, but godly sorrow leads to repentance. The key is does our mind change and our behavior Now, for those of you who are not Christians, I want to pause for just a minute. And I want you to look at your life carefully and ask the question, am I going in the right direction? Am I doing what God would want me to do? If I die right now, do I get to go to heaven or is my life or spiritual life in jeopardy? The people in Acts 2 recognized They were lost. And they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And here's why he responded to them. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the remission of your sins. You want to be saved? You want to be right with God? Repent of those sins that you've committed and be baptized. All those sins are washed away. Here's a problem, though. Many of us have done that. In fact, I'd say the majority of this audience has done that. Somewhere along the line, we've let sin get a hold of us. And we've not really let go of it. Here's the opportunity. We're going to sing this invitation song. If you need to be baptized or you need to be restored, would you come while we stand and sing?